Hey, I'm Greg. And I'm Nathaniel. Welcome to Only an Inkling, where we only talk about the Inklings. And we only have an inkling of what we're talking about. <laughs> Can I just say, this This got me to thinking of how, I mean, when you, usually when someone's going through a downer time, the common thought is usually along the lines of, what did this person do that they're going through this situation? Or the other thought is usually, well, they could probably read their Bibles more or pray more and the situation would be remedied mm. for their downer situation. Granted, if humans had the will to truly take prayer to task, I think they might find that there's absolutely <clears throat> nothing that couldn't be resolved in prayer. But that might require praying for hours, days, months, or years. years yeah. you know. But, I mean... With reality at hand, most people aren't praying that much, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that strikes me is that, according to Lewis, another option on the table here, then, is to contemplate that perhaps God has removed his presence to a certain degree to where humans sense an emptiness to their lives and begin to question, consciously or unconsciously, the meaning or, or meaningfulness to life. Mm. So, like, Nathaniel, has anyone ever attended to your more gloomy times and said, you know, maybe God has backed off his presence for a time? Like, I've never heard that, mm -mm. you know? No. It's just kind of been like, oh, man, well, like, what's your situation? What are the resources you need? Or, I mean, it's all fine. But I just haven't heard that perspective. Like, hey, this could just be that dark time for you. Um, that dark night of the soul. Yeah. It's yeah. a time for growth and, and for breaking apart. Yeah. I I would I would say that Lewis's idea presented through Screw Tape here <laughs> is is one I had never really thought about. My assumption for my dry times, and I think still largely is that well, it's really more on me than on God. Mm -hmm. Like I'm probably the one that's actually pulled away mm. more than God has. But it was an interesting idea when you compare it with what he's talking about here, the law of undulation, when in reality, everything in our life, everything we experience goes through highs and lows all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I keep fish as an aquarium hobby and breed them. Right. As, as a hobby, I mean. And um, there are times when I'm all about it and super excited, even in the same week. And then there is times where it's like, I don't even want to look at the tanks because mm -hmm. I'm tired and wore out and I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And so... I mean, that's an example of that law of undulation screw tape is talking about here. So, I mean, thinking about the fact that everything in our life is like that. Yeah. Um, it does It does make me have to consider, well, maybe there are times where God allows, in the very least, as, as he says here, allows me to experience a feeling of his withdrawal, mm -hmm. even if he actually has not. Yeah, yeah. So are you saying that you, you said you've hardly experienced times like what they were saying here but have you ever have you ever spent time in prayer and as you were praying it wasn't near as great as other oh, times yeah. in prayer you know yeah. and i just wonder like there is so much to to work out there because there is like how your energy is that day your mm -hmm. mood your yeah. thoughts how was your working day like right. all of that contributes to how you feel Right. And what you think during prayer, but also like 
God stays God. And so, like, yes. wh- it, why is it that, like, one time of prayer is not nearly as, like, mm-hmm. awesome or fulfilling as right. other times of prayer? Because those can be discouraging times, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, I prayed for 30 minutes the other night. It was incredible. I had this breakthrough, right? I entered into the third ring of heaven. Right. <laughs> I leapt whoa, over a wall. <laughs> We're going down a road I don't want to venture. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> and then other times you, you, you get to your space to pray, and it's just nothing. Yeah. You, just, you feel the same way as mm-hmm. when you started. Yeah. And I just wonder if those are sort of... Um, breaking moments by God um, to make you stretch. Yeah. If I communicated that um, I don't hardly ever experience this, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to communicate that. No, no. I just... (laughs) But I... I, Clarity's sake. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It's a real thing. Well, nevertheless, I like to say these tough times, but they're called trough times. Trough times. (laughs) These trough times, according to Screwtape, he says the valley moments are the trough. Which I think he stuck to this idea of, like, um, cattle led to the slaughter and using the word trough. Everything was about consumption. Consumption here. (laughs) But he calls them these trough times, um, which I guess the dark times for Screwtape are to overfeed, overstimulate people. But the trough times for God are um, really empty moments. So is your trough full or empty? <laughs> but either way, those are the dark, dark times of the soul. But these trough times lead humans to pray the kinds of prayers that please God best, Screwtape says. Yeah. Why do you think that is? He's thinking again. Yeah, I think, well, because... So we've been we've been at church. Uh, we go to adult Sunday school class or Bible study, whatever you want to call it, on Sunday mornings, and we've been going through First and Second Samuel. We're almost done with Second Samuel now, and what you see with David in the Samuels, we'll say, is this up and down, up and down, up and down, over and over. And when he is when life is good, um, he's comfortable. He starts to drift away from God and mm. make decisions on his own mm. because he doesn't feel that dependence, like, I, I really need you, God. Mm-hmm. And when things get messed up, usually because of his own drifting, like with Bathsheba, mm-hmm. um, he really presses into God and returns to him. And it's I think it's because all of a sudden now he realizes his deep need for God. Like, I always, always describe it as um, we really need myself included we need repeated moments of realizing our profound um, um, insufficiency like human beings are profoundly insufficient in ourselves that's why we long for more it's like why we're never satisfied because we are entirely in ourselves insufficient Mm. and um, those trough times are when I think we really feel that the most, and it presses. It's what is most likely to press us closest to God. Yeah. I Could you think. elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by being insufficient? I am not sufficient in myself because I am a human being that is imperfect and makes mistakes. I um, go by the whim of my feelings more often than I'd like to confess, <laughs> and that leads to all kinds of trouble with other people and myself. Well, I'll um, take that as a confession. That I, was nice of you to share. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, um, 
you know, I, I sin every day, multiple times every day, and whether you're religious or not, there, there are many of those things that are hurtful and harmful to other people. Um, I can try and try and try all my might to, to become better mm -hmm. in my own strength and, and try to, I'm going to, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to work out. I'm going to, um, I'm going to journal. I'm, I'm going to do all this self-help stuff mm -hmm. and, um, all self-help ends up being long-term is a burden, a ball and chain mm -hmm. that weighs me down and drowns me under legalism, you self-condemnation. <laughs> and, and it's like, what I really need is to. And this, this is, I'm preaching to myself right now. What He's I really, I am. <laughs> what I really, because I'm realizing how much I need it. <laughs> what I really need is to every day confess to God that I am not enough, mm. but he is. So it's hearing things of like uh, having your life in order, being perfect. Yeah. You can't supply all of your needs. There's always some kind of lacking within you. Yeah. And it never achieves perfection. Right. Yeah. Okay. And when, even when you're doing really good with self-help things, which can be beneficial sometimes, mm -hmm. but I don't want to throw it out completely. Right. But, but even when you're doing really good at that, it also becomes exhausting hmm. because I can't sustain that. I don't have that resource within myself. Yeah. Nobody it, does. <laughs> isn't this the kind of conclusion that you, you, you end up in with, uh, with one interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount? is okay i'm just going to take uh matthew chapter five mm -hmm. i'm just going to try to live this out for a week yeah and man <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway, i give it a week that was probably too generous yeah but it's hard yeah and trying to do it that way is absolutely exhausting mm -hmm. but of course there are plenty of scholars who say oh, that's that's one of the points Right. of the Sermon on the Mount is that you can't you can't achieve this. This is basically heaven on earth yeah. for the for the time being. And um it it always points you to God's grace. Yeah. Is God being able to do something for you that's absolutely it's outside of yourself. Yeah. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. But um yeah, I uh I appreciated your fire. <laughs> well, Lastly, I mean, as far as my notes go, I know you, I know you've got a lot um, to to take over there. But Screw Tape says during these lulling times, demons ought to take full advantage of the situation by tempting humans with all kinds of interferences and distractions, <clears throat> lest humans end up obeying God out of sheer will, even when they feel God's absence. Because if humans can do that. What power is left for the demons? Mm. That was basically my paraphrase of all yeah. awesome. Yeah. Now, I had some issues with that at first. I mean, granted, Lewis could say, you know, hey, I'm just writing a fiction story here, so none of this is true, but I think this is Lewis saying what he really wants to say through screw tape. And I'm just not sure that I've ever really obeyed God, even in the darkest of times, mm. out of my own brute strength. Mm. But then after reading and rereading this last chunk, Lewis puts it like this. He says, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, that's God's will, mm -hmm. looks around uh, upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, every trace of God seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken 
and still obeys. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's fair to say that I was misunderstanding the point that Lewis is not saying that God is wholeheartedly absent because that would surely mean death for us. Right. But he can make himself seem absent enough to where our desire for God becomes lacking because the way I understand it is if God pulls away, then his irresistibility should diminish as well. Yeah. I suppose. And if we still obey, that comes from a deep knowledge and trusting relationship in God that is still there in a way. Mm -hmm. Still upholds me even though I don't feel it or sense it at times. I mean, that was my understanding of that. Yeah. And I don't know, we can also expect, I think, to encounter this kind of situation since it's what Jesus faced as well. And I think that was the hint here when he says, um, asks why a person, everything around a person has been forsaken. That word forsaken surely hints to Jesus's life when, you know, we're familiar with his prayer from the cross, my God, my God, why Why have you you forsaken forsaken me? me? Mm -hmm. And this prayer is, it's a scripture quote from Psalm 22. Yeah. And it, it's just a small piece of that entire psalm. I mean, and I've got a bunch of verses here from it. Like starting with verse 24 onward, the psalm shifts from the negative to the positive. You have everything that was prophesied about happening to Jesus on the cross in that psalm. It's happening yeah. to the T, the exchanging of clothes, the mocking of him, him being nailed to cross. Mm-hmm. It's all there. But listen how it turns in verse 24 onward. It says... For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. So obviously, you know, people say nowadays that Jesus had the fuller context in mind. Which would suggest that even as Jesus is crying out on the cross, he is at the same time getting a complete sense of God's absence and still holding on to something, I don't know, I dare say mysterious, Mm -hmm. that God is still there upholding him in some fashion. And he knows it with a very deep security to be able to remain on the cross. Yeah. You know, and so it's remarkable to think about that. I think feeling that dryness and emptiness. Psalm 22 says in the psalm, he says, "I'm like a worm among human beings, mm. like just being completely despised." Yet at the same time, that to have such a deep connection with God, to know that it simply could not be that God would let him go. So even though Jesus looks around the universe from which every trace of God seems to, to have vanished in mm-hmm. Screwtape's own words and asks why he has been forsaken, he still obeys. Yeah. And this all reminds me a bit of, um, you know I have to throw this in here, it's called existential therapy. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is a form of therapy that I really resonate with because I've, I've always just kind of personally been in that mode, but this is a form of therapy that focuses on the concept of anxiety, but the word anxiety in this context is redefined as the overwhelming sense you get when you realize the big unavoidable conflicts in life, like revolving around death, freedom, choice, and the meaning of life. When you start to contemplate those, it creates a sense of uneasiness and disorientation in your life. Um, like because you feel pretty immortal until you're like 30 or 40 and you start getting these hints of like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be around forever. Yeah. And it can be very unsettling or you just want to like suppress it, you know? Right. <laughs> so for instance, someone might come into therapy having recently reflected on the fact that one day they're going to die or they'd like to change careers and the thought of life just drastically changing overwhelms them. Or what they once thought was important now seems to not be so important and they feel disoriented. Well, existential therapy seeks to help them along the way. But, of course, I like to see this kind of stuff as the, the shape of the cross. You know, it's like the how you view the, the Torah or the Ten Commandments as you have your vertical <clears throat> beam of the cross mm -hmm. as your relationship to creation and others seems to be the latter half of the Ten Commandments. And the first half are the vertical beam. Or I'm sorry, the first half is the horizontal beam. The second half is the vert vertical beam that uh, refers to you, your relationship with God and your obedience to mm -hmm. Him. And with existential therapy, I think at least it, it seems to be like that horizontal direction, working on our relationships to creation and others. And it helps you decide what's important in your life and helps you seek to find meaning in it and to make meaningful decisions for the sake of the greater good. However, I think it lacks that vertical beam of the cross that bears the relationship with God. So, I don't know. On one hand, I think it's always good when people strive for the common good to help others. And if someone, you know, in a session wants nothing to do with God, I think that's the best place you can settle at. <laughs> like, well, at least we can, agree, we can agree on that we should be doing good and helping others and striving for the virtues. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for us, to have a relationship with God is the most desirable outcome. That way a person can always examine their motives uh, to challenge them behind why they do what they do to find meaning in life so i, I don't know exist existential therapy i think is a really close place it, it's a very special place to be able to help others explore i think um explore god hmm. because if you're always if you're already already there talking about really big changes in your life and pondering uh, a, a lot of that therapy starts from, with the basis that i'm gonna die and so how do we want to move forward and make the most out of life? Uh, that's a ripe area for reflection about God. Hmm. And um, so it's got a lot of potential. But some people just don't want that. And, um, you know, for whatever reason. But it could be a really sweet place. And for everyone else who wants nothing to do with the God part, well, it's just kind of like, well, let's at least try to make the most out of life. Yeah. Yeah. But a part of that therapy focuses on what you mean by making the most out of life is by looking outside of yourself and helping your neighbors for the sake of the greater good. So, of course, all of that gets challenged with the Christian narrative, you know, be like, well, 
you're still left asking why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Because even like in our working lives, um, don't you feel challenged? Like, it's like every month, like you get hit with this wave that's like, hey, uh, you've been going to work, you've been doing good at work, but um, like, what are you doing really? Like, what's your end game yeah. here? And right. how have you been interacting with your coworkers? All that stuff comes to you and like, in our perspective, those are like, um, those are checks by the Holy Spirit yeah. to um, shine a light on your motives and say, hey, is this, um, are you still worshiping me? Yeah. <laughs> or how, however you want to put it, you yeah. know, but um, existential therapy sure gets close to that, but not quite, you know, and um, yeah. it doesn't quite get behind the motives, but at least helps you live a more fulfilling life. But anyway, that was my little therapeutic rant. You know, I had sure. to throw that in there. Yeah. I would be, um, you can edit this out if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give that disclaimer. I would be uh, a terrible therapist uh, for folks that were completely closed off to the idea of God. You think not, so? Not necessarily people that don't believe, but people that just want nothing to do with Who it. Who would explicitly say, no, we're yeah, not even going to talk, even about gonna talk about that. Because then I would just say, well, you can go see my friend Greg because I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> if we can't even approach this, I can't help you. Um, that would be that's, fair. That's like, that's how deeply I'm convicted that the answer really is Christ. Not that there is no help. Because um, mm -hmm. when I communicate that, it sounds like I'm saying, well, there's no hope for no help. There's no, That's not it. It's just my conviction is so strong that I'm, I go, I can't. What, what's the point of me trying? Because <laughs> the real help isn't, isn't going to be received from my perspective. Uh, I, so, I kind of resonate. It's like I understand. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It would be, at least, in the very least, it would be extremely difficult for me because I would just have this gnawing, like, <laughs> why am I even talking? This is... I don't think that goes away. <laughs> I, I think uh, that's so fair. <laughs> At the same time, every therapist cannot help everyone's situation. Sure. So there's still plenty of room for you to be a therapist. Sure. Um, because uh, there are some situations um, you just can't handle. Everyone's got their own tics. Yeah. Like I was talking to a therapist a week or two ago, and she told me, um, I just can't see um, like ages 12 and under or something like that because she said the any kind of pain or trauma they've expe experienced from adults or caretakers that they shouldn't have, she said, I'll just fall apart. So it's like, that's fair. And so yeah. she refers them out to other people. Right. I think everybody's got yeah. those things. I wouldn't things. be such a jerk to just say what I said to the person. I would just refer okay. them to someone else kindly. <laughs> but, but that would be inside my head. I'd be like, I can't help you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's there. Yeah. But I, I think winding backwards a little bit... Um, that last part of the chapter that you that you read, mm -hmm. um, where he, he says that their cause is never more in danger than when humans that feel the absence of God and yeah. lack the desire, but maintain the intention to yeah. obey and then actually do it. Yeah. That that's the most threatening place uh, for that for the demonic cause to be. And when I read that, of course, like you pointed out, my mind went right to Jesus. I thought, that yeah. is what Jesus did, yep. literally. He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, I mispronounced that, but the With Garden the of Gethsemane. Yeah, he plays in the garden, prays in the garden, <laughs> that, um, that 
you know, if there's any way for this cup to be taken away, that yep. God would do it, but not his will, but God's be done. What so what, what an admission, even by the Savior, that I don't want to do this. Yep. Not that I don't want to obey you, but I don't want to go through this myself. Yeah, and so can we just take a, like a little intermission there and say, this shows us that faith is not necessarily blind, yeah. not in the way that we understand yeah. it to be blind. This comes from a place of deep trust and connection. Yeah. And we've seen Jesus's ministry up to that point. God yeah. God was faithful every step of the way. Yeah. And Je- it seems to be that Jesus is saying, even there, when things look just the absolute darkest, mm-hmm. um, it's another challenge to say, forget God, man. Get yourself out of this situation. Yeah and run or something yeah. you know but jesus is not i know god better than that yeah and can still hold on even though he knows this is gonna yeah this is gonna hurt yeah it's gonna hurt. and then like you pointed out on the cross he prays my god my god why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. uh, but he still followed through yeah. he still did it um you know, as, a, as Christians, we believe that Jesus was God, and so he had the power to take himself down off the cross, even as they chastised him to do so. Yep. But he didn't do that. He followed through to the end. Yep. And so why, like, we should expect nothing else than that to be the most threatening thing to the cause of the demons, when that is what broke their hold over the world, mm. was Jesus doing that very thing. So if we can do that in imitation of him, if we can find trust in God enough to go, I don't feel you, I don't feel like doing this, I don't want to, uh, but I'm going to do your will and obey anyway. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's the thing that broke us away from the, the demonic clutches anyway, mm-hmm. um, was Jesus following obediently um, in that exact situation. So, not exact situation. He suffered in a way we could never imagine. But, but, to me, that's a that's such a good imitation of him uh, that it would make sense that that's very threatening to them. But the real problem, I think, is the pain, isn't it? Yeah. Because this is the classic. I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid how I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like no, no. I could, I can go preach the gospel to. Um, the the mobsters in Mexico mm-hmm. and the cartel, um, that's no problem. But get back to me when they're ripping out my yeah. fingernails. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's. I mean, so I think one way to weather that storm, uh, and something that I need to remember a lot more of is to remember what the saints that have gone before us have done and gone mm-hmm. through. Because they're not Jesus. They're not God. They have God. Right. They have relationship with him, but they're still just every bit fully human as we are. Like mm-hmm. there isn't a divine nature at play there, yeah. Uh, as far as from themselves, right? And uh, you know, you read Paul in the New Testament and all the things he goes through, and and how he still says, "I boast in my weakness, and I count it all as joy." And how can I wrap my? I'm not giving an answer here. I'm just mm-hmm. how can I wrap my head around that? Because that's what it's going to take to do this mm-hmm. so yeah one scholar pointed out in Matthew's gospel when, when mm-hmm. Jesus goes out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan 
the question is like if you are the son of god is the the premise and the word for if in greek is two letters it's e epsilon iota the a sound a mm. it can mean if or since and that's a game changer in interpretation is satan questioning hypothesizing if you are the son of god mm. then do x y and z or is he affirming Jesus's, um, you know, divinity. Since you are mm. God's son, go ahead and do this. Mm. Which one is it? And we don't have the resolution necessarily. And I think that that's helpful for what you're talking about. It could be easy to look at Jesus and say, yeah, but Jesus was divine. Yeah, he could do whatever the heck he wants. It's not like us. But he is, and he's also right. He's also <laughs> a human. total human being. Yeah. And so it's like. When he faced the absolute worst, especially the cross, um, is that because Jesus has to face the worst suffering because he's divine, or does he have to face the worst suffering in the world because he's human? And what at least we can all say as human beings is we all go through some pretty hard times. Yeah. And I mean, not anybody's life is absolutely peachy to the end. Right. And if that's the case, then I, I would dare say we can look at Jesus' life and say his example of going through the dark times and showing that unrelenting yes. trust in the Father is his humanness. Yeah. And that's the part we can relate to. And so then it's fair to say, well, then the part of the Christian life that is a true part of the gospel message is um, that we're going to suffer. Yeah. And that part of that suffering is the chance to affirm your connection with God and to yeah. um, to scorn the devil yeah in that moment and uh, just to really tap into that special place of, of connection and trust in the face of being forsaken yes yeah. so, I mean and just I say that it's kind of rolling my eyes because uh, that's that's way easier said than done. Oh, tremendously easier said yeah, I, than done. I'm not going to belittle anybody's darkness. No. It's, it's hard. And yeah. It just breaks you. Um, but I, I don't say... I say that you can do it because Jesus did it, not because of his divinity, although that's there, but because he was the human to show us the way to do it. Right. Well, and then on top of that, you also see how his followers have done it throughout history. Yeah. You know. Yep. So even if that's still a lingering doubt in your mind, what you're what you're pointing out is like, well, he did it as a human. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Affirm that completely. Mm -hmm. So look at other humans. If you're still <laughs> questioning it, look at other humans who have yeah. done it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for your encouragement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have anything else on um, Lewis's theology of um, Arminianism and Calvinism? Well. Um, not real particularly. I didn't go in real deep on that because, like I said, I want to try and be as neutral as I am capable of being, which is fair and, to and, say I'm not very neutral. And but. why is that? <laughs> why, why do you want to be neutral on that? Because I know that people have their... Well, because I can't say with certainty that the Calvinists are wrong. Hmm. Even though I feel it in my bones, <laughs> I can't actually make... They claim that they're wrong. Okay. And they can't, even though they feel it in their bones, they can't actually make a claim that the Arminian position <laughs> is wrong either. Um, so, 
We are, we're, we're in a all, bone situation. We are a bone situation. <laughs> but we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, so I want to be kind and fair, and I don't want to be divisive and argumentative, mm-hmm. even though I do have a position. Yeah. So. You've been listening to Only an Inkling. If you like this podcast, you already know what to do. 